Horror podcast. Uh, this is uh, your weekly podcast, uh, primarily talking about movies and film and all the different uh, synonyms that you can find for that art form. Uh, pictures, <laughs> right? Moving your picture, picture show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the picture podcast to make it a good alliteration. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, so this is uh, yeah. This is your weekly podcast as i said um we're on just a string of directors because why not that's it's easy and we don't have to think about it too hard um but uh yeah so this is i'll just of... introduce myself really quickly because yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm uh, eric ahead. sayer yeah and yeah. i'm oh, no. uh, cool. yeah and i'm arlen harrow um uh yeah so we're doing the Coen brothers this week um we're going very far back uh for some people uh to their first four films um which is an interesting thing to do i think because i realized i hadn't seen most of them um with the exception of one uh that i think i saw like a million times uh <laughs> But uh, I, th- I think I can guess which one. Yeah, yeah, you probably can. Um, so yeah, other than that, like I was very, I hadn't really seen it. I knew by name some of these movies, um, and I, you know, they they each have sort of a reputation. Um, of course, we talked about Barton Fink uh, during our um, uh, our episode about uh, unresolved endings and such, but we didn't yeah. we uh, didn't do a proper episode on the Collins that time so yeah this is a this should be an interesting episode yeah it's very interesting to watch their old films and and see how that influenced like how they tried to do things at first and see what worked and what didn't and Mm -hmm. which what stayed in their work in their later films Mm because we're all more way more familiar with their most recent stuff Mm -hmm. yeah and also I was something I was surprised by is I always assumed because they grew up in sort of a similar, they grew up with Sam Raimi. They were actually like friends, um, is my understanding, um, like childhood friends. Um, I assumed that their movies would be a lot more like Fargo and that they would all be sort of Midwest e. But there's like a weird Southwest thing going on throughout all their films, uh, to some extent, you know, um, especially the first two. Uh, they're very like, almost, uh, they're like, a, they're like companion films about the Southwest in a weird way. Um, they're like two Be- sides of a coin. Being, uh, not American, it's, <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't see that much of a difference. I, it's weird for me because I middle of the united states it's all one big thing in my head mm. there's the north when there's where there's snow and the south where there isn't right but yeah yeah that's, yeah that's fair <laughs> that's fair um yeah um, but it's interesting to hear that actually. yeah well the south we generally consider the southwest to be its entirely own species because the okay. people who live in the southwest um 
we're astonished that they're there still. <laughs> uh, it's it's a very hard place to live. Um, not that Fargo is any easier to live in. Um, but, so yeah, we do generally consider there to be, like, a small difference. Um, and also, like, the Southwest is kind of, like, racist. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, far more racist, <laughs> and not in a polite way. Um, so... Okay. Yeah, that's their, that's really the difference actually. <laughs> it's like they'll be they'll be racist, but they won't tell you to your face if you go to North Dakota. Um well, maybe it's changed a little bit. But um so yeah, that's the real difference there. Uh that's that's your lesson on the Southwest people who are not in America. Um <laughs> But uh <laughs> we should really get in, I guess, to yeah. Blood Simple. Um it's the first film. Uh, I assume it's their first film uh, completely, yeah, but I bet they worked on shorts and things of that nature. Student um, stuff. Yeah, and Who again, knows? they worked on a lot of Raimi's films early on. Um, I don't know if they were uh, part of the production of Evil Dead, but I, in my head, I like to just imagine that they were. Um, and they've also worked with Barry Sonnenfeld, who also has done a lot of Raimi stuff. Um, so they're like a weird little filmmaking family. Um, uh, but yeah, this is, Blood Simple is a, it's an interesting movie. It's, it's a neo-noir, at least that's what the, they say on Wikipedia and in other places that like to put this movie in a genre. It, it, it does feel like a kind of a noir film, mm-hmm. a, a more modern ter- take on the noir. Like it's not, we talked about Brick a few weeks ago and that's, that's like, that tries to really much to be a noir, but this one is like mm-hmm. more by design. That it's not really by design. It doesn't try to be a noir. It just is, mm-hmm. and how its storytelling works. Yeah. It feels like a movie made um, uh, like a they they watch a bunch of noir films when they were younger, and they wanted they just wanted to do a movie, and the influence just shows yeah. on their work. Definitely, it has the same sort of bite that a lot of noir movies have. Um, where it's just like it, it you're not really sure if you agree with every choice that the characters are making um and there's just this nihilistic edge to everything um which i i think it really works in this movie um and the people are in some cases doing very terrible things but they're affected by it um and but the and you know, I believe uh, when you talk about noir, a lot of people like to point to the fact that the seven deadly sins are usually at are current in any true noir film. Um, and this movie follows that. Um, there's lust, there's murder, there's jealousy, um, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, and that really spurs the movie on. Um, as far as plot is concerned. Um. Uh, before going into what the movie was about, it's really, I didn't expect it from this film, but there's so much uh, stylistic decisions that you don't see that much in their later work. It's Mm -hmm. like how the movie is shot. There's so many really interesting, weird shots that it, again, feels like, uh, it feels like a first film. It's their first, first time they had to, the ability to make those choices and they they like interesting shots so they try to include 
as many of those as I can in the film. Yeah. Uh, it something you like something you'd see maybe in um, used maybe much better I think in a like Paul Thomas Anderson film or something like that in in the uh, in uh, maybe in Boogie Nights or Magnolia. But it in this film it feels so. Uh, it's sometimes it's out of place. Sometimes it works really well. We'll talk more. I think I'll talk more about some specific shots. I took notes. Mm. So, uh, but yeah, you want to get into what the film is about? So it's um, the basic plot is um, how am I forgetting her name? Frances McDormand, um, uh, recent uh, nominee at the uh, Academy Awards, I believe. Uh, she won a Golden Globe. Um, Francis McDormand and uh, John Getz, who's an actor who... He's one of those actors who you you see his face and you're like, I know that guy. I know that guy from something. He's been <laughs> he's been in things. I, I know. Um, and when you look it up, you're like, oh, that's what he's from. Um, that's He's one of those guys uh, who's been in just tons of tons of things. You know, TV and movies, all, you know, as many as you can remember. Um and it follows the two of them at first in a car basically talking and deciding that they're just gonna sleep with each other because they've always kind of had like a thing between them like a you know an unspoken passion at least or unspoken lust um and it sort of starts from there and how uh that causes Frances McDormand to leave her husband or you know tell her that she wants to leave and that unravels into him you know, hiring a private detective who is the person who told him about them cheating on him, him hiring that detective eventually to kill Francis McDormand and Ray. Um, and that leads into other things that, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, that leads into <laughs> other things, <laughs> uh, is the best way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Very ridiculous things. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. This is like the 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 most Cohen Brothers thing about this film is its storytelling. It gets mm-hmm. it goes into places that are completely uh, ridiculous for for a straightforward story like this for a noir film. Mm-hmm. It, 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 no one knows actually what's going on except us, and it's fun right. just to see how they're reacting to learning a bit of information each time but the, even at the end no one no, none of the characters knew the actual whole picture of the right right yeah the, yeah that's yeah the the person who probably knows the most is m emmett walsh who's the private detective um who is <laughs> I don't know. I love this character who, <laughs> who who dresses in a banana yellow suit. Um, he drives a beetle, talks to like uh, 18, 19 year old girls. Yeah. God, oh God, he's such a he's such a creeper. But he's uh, yeah, he's 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 like a he's actually he's like um I'm forgetting this character's name, but he is a standard in like this sort of southern gothic noir storytelling that primarily takes place in texas and around the southwest and it's that same look it's the cowboy hat that's a weird bizarre color and the private detective who's not really that great at their job and kind of a shady guy um and 
he is such perfect casting for that kind of character um and he's just he's just so scummy throughout the movie um and it really like it works like everything that he does you're like yeah yeah this guy would do that (laughs) this guy would totally do that um he he fakes killing people by (laughs) by doctoring their photos um spoilers this is where we get to the spoilers um he actually kills a guy (laughs) after getting him to pay him money um he does so many like just terrible terrible things throughout the course of this movie and he's kind of it's weird because not every Coen Brothers movie but this character pops up in their other stuff this kind of character who is just amoral and doesn't have any you know code or or you know or at least any code that we can understand they feel like they seem to have some sort of idea of what their morals are but we can never actually comprehend their morality um i mean he's kind of a an anton chigor uh prototype in a way um so it's very interesting to see this character or uh, this type of character so early in their work yeah it's it is it's it's weird he's like you you like him almost immediately like he's mm-hmm. he's an asshole and he's you have no idea why he's doing what he's doing from the beginning like why he's like he's motivated by money it looks like maybe mm-hmm. but not not entirely he's just he's almost a just a plot device but at the same time he's like a the scummy asshole that makes you question like what the actual morals of the film are mm-hmm. yeah he he definitely serves that purpose and he is a lot of a lot of how the movie moves forward is because of him um he's sort of is setting bits and pieces up and he's why things move move the way they do um him and uh francis mcdormand's husband are really the two factors that do that you know because you get this point where um he says you know i've taken care of that i've taken care of my alibi and stuff before he gets shot and he's left a series of phone messages um to himself i believe um, if I'm not mistaken, or if it's to um, Maurice, I can't actually remember. Um, but he leaves a series of phone messages that tell exactly where he was on the weekend that he assumes uh, Francis McDormand got shot, um, and that implicate Ray as being his killer. Um, which, <laughs> for a small town bar owner. Uh, that's pretty impressive, but we're, I guess we're supposed to assume that he's Greek, so he's he could have grown up in Greece. He's probably part of the mob. Again, we're very unsure of who these people actually are, um, and like, you know, what their actual lives are like. We only get like a very quick flash of like just how far things extend for them, um, but it's 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 enough to keep the story going to keep the characters interesting uh i love that the 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 movie opens with actually the pi's voiceover Mm -hmm. right it's weird and and it's uh 
the first thing I, I noticed in the film, I, I have to say, the first note I took was his uh, his lighter, <laughs> Man of the Year, <laughs> written on a lighter, That's which fits his like scummy character almost perfectly. Yeah, and the the lighter is so the lighter is so good. Yeah. And and later on when it becomes a, uh, I'm forgetting words today, but um, when he loses it under the fish. <laughs> Yeah, like that was just something that just every single time that came back, I was like, "He's not gonna find it, is he? He's not gonna find it at all. He's just gonna keep on forgetting where the lighter is." Um, and that leads to every bad thing that happens after he loses the lighter. Um, so yeah, that was because because he thinks the lighter implicates him, mm-hmm. but like no one would have known. Right, Nobody... probably he could have just like disappeared and no right. one would have known like yeah. like a bunch of characters like they all could have made a decision of just leaving and staying alive mm-hmm. uh, like because the only person that ever actually meets him is francis mcdormand's husband nobody else yeah. ever actually sees him face to face they only see the beetle and the that car can't really be connected to anything. And if was, if yeah. he just ditched his car, he'd be safe. Yeah. Um, so it is interesting that he keep, maybe he just, it's just that he really likes that lighter. <laughs> um, so that, that would be something, but yeah, it, it's interesting. The lighter sort of becomes his reason for a path of destruction kind of that he lays throughout the movie. Um, a very small path of destruction though. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I want to talk about another character. I want to talk about uh, Maurice, which is the bartender. Yep. Which is the the like I enjoyed the 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 you you enjoy the PI, but Maurice yeah. is like actually really fun to see every time he's on screen. He's great. He's int- like he's introduced with the. Uh, I was talking about interesting shots. It's a, a shot that follows his uh, his converse walking on the ground, mm-hmm. uh, and then he, he goes uh, behind the bar because he's a barman at the at the bar owned by. Uh, I think that we're just calling him uh, Francis McDormand's husband. Right, because he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's... Um, Marty. Marty is... M- Marty, they, yeah, They okay. call him Marty throughout it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, Marty at Marty's bar, mm-hmm. and he he starts... Um, like, he's talking to a lady, then Marty comes, try to kind of seduce her and then she says like oh we've been friends me and the uh, me and uh, maurice for 10 years or something it's just bullshit <laughs> great it's so great god damn it. yeah maurice is maurice is yeah. pretty great and um i mean there's an there's one other scene with maurice i just want to mention which is like when he uh there's a uh, Ray is smoking a cigarette outside his house in front of his car, yep. and <laughs> Maurice comes over just to to to, sh- to shout on him, but uh, takes a cigarette off his hands, calls it a uh, uh, don't smoke that nail coffin, and starts smoking it himself. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah, Maurice is great. <laughs> yeah, Maurice is really good. I want to see the movie that takes place before this, and it's just Mar- Maurice and Ray working at the bar because that yeah. would be a movie I would watch the shit out of. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Um, 
Maurice, yeah, Maurice is great. He he introduces um, a song that sort of plays throughout this movie, um, and it's just it comes in and there, you know, back and forth, and it just becomes like background noise to a certain extent. And then when we get to the end of the movie, <laughs> um, and the water is dripping down, and then the cut to the music is so good. It's one of my favorite endings, and I'm like, okay, these guys knew knew what they were doing at a very young age, because um, their their ability to just to understand how to do that, to cut to music so well, and to set things up throughout the movie so well, um, and to pay them off, it's 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 impressive, um, even for two people uh, working together. That's that's something that. A lot of directors don't learn until much later on in their careers. Yeah, uh, uh, I think that's everything I have to say about *Blood Simple*. It's it's an interesting film. I I think it's worth watching as part of the the Coen Brothers canon, but it's like it feels like a, a proto Fargo in yeah. a in a big way. Like. Mm-hmm. Which Fargo is, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a future episode, but that's a, a way better film mm-hmm. in my... Uh, yeah. Like, it feels like the, the first, yeah, the the first draft of what would end up being, like, mm-hmm. their style. The, yeah. the best of that style is probably, the mm-hmm. best of their movie of that style is probably Fargo. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, as far as, as far as first movies go, this is high up there for me, like few directors ever come out the gate with movies that are this good um but if you're not rating on that scale it's 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 good it's good enough yeah. i can see why at the time people were very impressed by this movie um you know it was it got a lot of attention and i get it i get why in 1982 80 yeah 84 84 yeah they Oh, it was uh yeah eighty four yeah I was I thought it said that it was in festivals for a really long time but no you're right eighty eighty four eighty five ish, um, but yeah like in eighty five I could see this being a very you know crowd pleasing not crowd pleasing but you know attention grabbing movie um, and I, I I understand why it sort of kicked them off running. All right, uh, now we'll move on to the Coen Brothers' second film. Um, probably one of the movies I've seen more than any other movie ever. Um, it's, Actually? It's got to be up there for me. Yeah. Interesting. I've only seen it twice, including the once this week. So. Um, yeah, like, I, yeah, it's, it's weird. Because um, Raising Arizona is a movie that I... I don't actually remember the exact context, but I remember watching it because my grandparents had it. Um, and they're pretty cool when it comes to movies. Like, my grandma showed me Kill Bill for the first time. Um, so that, that that's her street cred uh, for movies. <laughs> uh, uh, that's how cool she was. Um, or is still. Um, 
I don't know why I implicated that she's dead. She's well and alive, and she's <laughs> she's fine. Um, maybe I've just predicted something. I need to call my grandmother. No, uh, um, no. Do uh, call your grandmother. It's always good. Yeah, yeah it's always. It's, hey, grandmothers. Guess what? They're really pleasant to talk to. It's, it's, it's who would imagine? Um, but yeah, no. Uh, yeah, uh, she. I, she is the reason I watched this movie for the first time. I can't remember the exact context on that one like I can with Kill Bill because I remember sitting down and watching it with her. Um, but no, I they had the movie and I watched it and I kept on watching it. <laughs> and every time I would go over to their house, I would borrow it and take it home and watch it multiple times. And then we'd have to give it back at some point and then... I would just wait a little while. The next time we would go over, I would ask Tarlet. <laughs> um, so yeah. When when did you watch it for the first time? Were you young? I think I might have been. I don't even think I was a teenager yet. So like okay. this is this is my first exposure to the Coens, definitely. Okay. Okay, interesting. Because the first time I watched this film, I had it was a couple of years ago when it it came on Netflix uh, here in Canada. So. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what to expect. Like, I was expecting, honestly, I was expecting a, a, a Coen Brothers black comedy, and I got <laughs> something very different from the rest of their work. Yeah, the, the best description I found is it's a neo noir if you mixed it with the Looney Tunes. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that works um which is it's pretty close um it, it's not that goofy but looney tunes suggests a certain level of goofiness but it's definitely it's somewhat a satire it's definitely a comedy um there is a darkness inside of it but it's also like it's not magical realism but it feels like it's right on the edge of magical realism yeah, um, there's a guy introduced as like actual devil. Mm-hmm. Like, the like, Nicholas Cage dreams about him being the devil. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and he, he most likely is. Uh, he goes by yeah. uh, Leonard Smalls, and uh, he he is actually he is a magical realism character. He is straight yeah. out of magical realism. You know, the, the, he edges in between being reality and something other. Um, so you know, and he. Everywhere he goes, you know, the scenes change and they become more dreamlike when he is in the movie. Um, but the movie is, yeah, again, it's very funny and it's, but again, there is this sense of like darkness throughout it. There's some real drama going on and there are these, there's a lot of people who, a lot of characters who are sort of just trying to exist and they're trying to deal with certain you know existential problems um holly hunter is throughout the movie is really just trying to deal with the idea that she can't have a child um and she's just trying to get through that as best as she can um and there's a love story that really is like at the very center of this between uh holly hunter as ed um which is (laughs) which is (laughs) one of the best I don't think I've ever seen a name choice that is as inspired as that because it just works so perfectly for that character. And Nicolas Cage as High. 
um, H.I. And the characters just call him H.I. throughout the movie also. Um, But uh, it's, yeah, the two of them and their chemistry in in a given scene, it's just brilliant. Like, because they're two, they're like two balls of energy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They, they, They play off perfectly off on each other. Like, it's, it's weird seeing Nicolas Cage playing a role this ridiculous, but it's, he's actually feels like super tame and super perfect. Like, mm-hmm. you can, he had, now he has a reputation of being like, a, playing ridiculous, mm-hmm. insane movies that just get released, uh, direct to DVD in China. Or right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, he's, he plays the this the character of high so well so he he uh i love the this the beginning of this film where, where he's giving voiceover about how he keeps going again and again to prison and uh, meeting ed mm-hmm. uh, just when he gets arrested because she's a, a cop that takes his prince right and the pictures of him <laughs> and the the uh they fall in love through that, and it's he's perfect in the role. And yes. they, they, and she, Holly Hunter is an amazing actress. Yeah. And and they, like you said, they play off one another. They play the the perfect couple, like yeah. not the not in the actual couple way, but just perfect right. as in that they work well together. Yeah, Pr- practically not the best, but as a like yeah. comedy <laughs> duo, they're perfect. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, I love that. He poses by having a ring on his finger when she <laughs> when she does the prance. It's so it's so great. Um, yeah, like just so many little things, and I love I love that most of the movies at least get his narration um, and his point of view on things, and just his narration is great. Um, and just Nicolas Cage, there are so many like little cage isms almost throughout the movie um and i'm just and I, the entire time you know when i rewatched it a couple months ago i remember thinking was that nick just being nick or was that the coen brothers and you can't tell the difference in some parts um because he's he's doing so many things and like his he's he's a very physical actor and we all know this and what he's doing with his body and the way that he moves is so I could just I could watch that over and over again. Just he is always doing something, even when he's quiet, um, and I love it. I love every minute of it. You know, just him walking down the grocery, you know, store aisle um, in the generic you know grocery mart or whatever, um, and the way that he picks up the diapers <laughs> <laughs> and the, and he puts the pantyhose over his head. It's yeah, I love it. I love so many things in this movie. Um, and like, and again, like the jokes are actually really timeless almost. Um, you know, it's, it's very, it's a, it's still a very funny movie. Mm -hmm. I I actually enjoyed it a lot more a second time knowing what to expect. And I laughed, uh, I laughed a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and like, we're just talking, so far we've really just talked about Nick Cage and, holly hunter but like there's so many other people that show up that are that every time that they're there they just steal the show uh john goodman and williams <laughs> Forsyth in this movie <laughs> like they again they could have their own movie the two of them yeah and it would probably be great 
the the um we didn't introduce the plot at all, but so I'll start with that. It's very, uh, it's simple. Uh, Ed and mm-hmm. High uh, can't have uh, children, right? Um, so uh, they decided to steal uh, uh, one of uh, uh, how a furniture magnet yeah. uh, called Arizona. Uh, <laughs> he had quintuplets, so they steal one of the, those <laughs> children, right. and it's. Uh, and what in shoes is a no, it's, just, it's like like you said it's very close to a, it does have this Looney Tunes feel because the adventures that happen to them are more ridiculous and feel so um, well timed mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's yeah um yeah it's yeah the plot is yeah. something that i always overlook because it is so ridiculous yeah. but basically yeah you're right like this this guy who has a store called unpainted arizona um and he changed his name to arizona because nobody would buy a store from whatever his real name is i can't remember um which is so great um but yeah he they had like five kids and they and Ed decides in her head that they have more babies than they need, and that they won't mind if she takes one of the babies off their hands. It's, 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 no, it's actually there's a line in the newspaper that says like more than we can handle or mm-hmm. something like that. So she thinks that literally and just mm-hmm. decides that they have to steal a baby. So <laughs> the, in, in maybe the funniest physically part physical part of the film is when nick cage goes in the window the first time and tries to just mm-hmm. i don't know why he just handles the, the babies like that he puts them on the ground and they escape one after the other there's no actual reason why he's doing that it's just it's, it's just completely ridiculous and damn you're right but it works he's like, so well. he's, he's, yeah he's like trying them maybe right he's like testing them out like he's like hmm i gotta handle them all a little bit so i know which one to take um it's so good um and then he goes back he, he decided he decides not to stay and he goes back but ed uh, forces him mm-hmm. to to take another to, to actually take one to go back and take one I want that baby high. It's so good. <laughs> so, so good. Um, yeah, like, and I, I love his, like, I think I think I got a good one. I got Nathan Jr. Um, <laughs> and I love that they don't decide to change his name. Um, they just go by Nathan Jr. from then on. Um, they try to name him Ed Jr. Or, uh, what is it? I think they keep on going back and forth in between whether yeah, no, or not. No, no, uh, I, I think... Uh... I think Nick uh, High calls uh, him Ed Jr. and Ed calls him High Jr. I think. Okay. <laughs> but they both sometimes will just default to Ed. Yeah, exactly. It's so, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's 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 pretty good. Um, but yeah, there's, it's a very fun movie, and it's um, it's very energetic, and it is so interesting that you know. Blood Symbol is like a traditional noir, you know, it's very dark and it's, you know, there's a very, you know, you know, somber ending almost. Um, And then this movie is just like the exact opposite. It is just like bright, uh, mostly because it takes place in Arizona. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's very like, um, there's like this lightness to it where even though terrible things do happen in the movie... Um, 
it's so funny and it is again it's so looney tunes that you don't you don't really notice it um there's a a a Kurt chase in the middle of the film that's really really good like mm-hmm. it's a very it's both a, a good comedy scene and a good action scene kind of it's uh, where after um, after they after Hyde tries to rob the store he gets pursued by the police and he's running through a, a grocery store and he's getting shot by the police in the middle of the grocery store <laughs> And then yeah. there, there are actual dogs that follow him all over the street, and it's <laughs> it's so good. The the, the dogs uh, chase the policeman, and it's, it's it looks how the uh, it, it, the grocery store scene specifically ends up being like a a Scooby Doo scene where where mm-hmm. uh, everyone's going in a different direction for no reason. Yeah, yeah, and like. I love that, like, he's running away. I can't remember if he's running away from the dogs or if he's running from the police. And then the guy from the grocery store with the shotgun shows up again. Um, and it's, yeah. Like, there's so many bits and pieces of it that are great. Um, and it, and it, it ends with him going into uh, the car. Ed coming back to, to pick him up. Mm-hmm. And he gets in the car with her. And then he gives her precise indications. So they go back and pick up the, the diapers. <laughs> He leans out of the car. You don't remember the diapers at all. And he's like, yeah, go left here, go right here, go left. You're like, what's going on? Oh, yeah, they're going to get the diapers. That's <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of, of good in this movie. And like I said, there is sort of a, and you mentioned it, he is sort of the, the devil, the Leonard Smalls character who shows up at the end. Um, and this is where the Looney Tunes really, <laughs> it really goes there. Um, and there's like this final confrontation with him and it's, it's like something out of like the Terminator or, you know, an action movie from the time. And it's just yeah. as well choreographed and well, you know, the stunt stuff is really good. Um, and it's really them fighting over the baby. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, I love the, the Smalls character he just offers to find the baby for him. And before Nathan Arizona can even agree <laughs> that he wants him to find the baby, he's already out the door. Yeah. It's it's great. Um, but yeah, like his, he's a great physical presence on screen. Um, and I, I just love Nick Cage's reaction when he realizes that he's real. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, like... And I love, like, his introduction throughout the dreams is, like, he throws a grenade at a lizard. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that. It's, it's just like, oh, no. This is the most evil character that's ever been created. Um, but, yeah, like, and his... And he has a, a mama didn't love me tattoo. It's so good. And Nick Cage's narration introducing him. Evil never saw his, or no... Good never saw his soul. He never got the know the finer things in life. <laughs> and I think he gives a couple examples. Um, it's just it's so good. Um, There's a small detail I really like. It's it's uh, Holy Hunter is always calling uh, uh, the three of them uh, Ed High and Junior a family unit, like mm-hmm. a, like they're good cops. She is. It's just a small thing I noticed a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, that's a. That is something interesting. Like, like, like a, a small 
bit of characterization in, in just the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very... She, the fact that she's a cop plays a big part in the way that she acts and the choices that she makes. Um, and it and it really informs who she is as a character. And, and I do love that everything plays into that. You know, the way that they interact is informed by the fact that Ed is a career... No, Ed is a cop and High is a career criminal. Um, and that plays into everything, every bit of who they are and their relationship. Um, and, yeah, it's, it just... Everything counts in this movie, and it's it's really great. Um, but, so, yeah, uh, lots of things great. Um, <laughs> I love when yeah. John Goodman and William Forsyth decide to return themselves to prison <laughs> by going back to the hole that they dug. <laughs> yeah, because they actually said we, we don't get out of prison unless we have an actual reason to be out. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. <laughs> and I love, I love when they get out of the hole. I don't know if that was making fun of something, yeah. but <laughs> and then we wait for William Forsythe to get out, and they both scream at the same time. <laughs> like, and, and then it cuts, and they're in a the bathroom putting a pomade in their hair. Uh huh. Because so you gotta get it as that uh, good shiny slimy hair. Right. Well, they're covered in I don't know what. Uh, well, I know, but I don't want to know. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, that's a yeah, that's a that's a it's a great movie. I, I guess uh, I I have a very hard time judging this movie um, because it's just it's ingrained in my DNA at yeah. this point. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have to say, I'll mention the first time I watched it. Like I said, uh, going with my expectations, I didn't like it that much. It was mm-hmm. like. It it was funny and enjoyable in a way, but rewatching it the second time, I, I I liked it a lot more, knowing what to expect. It's one of those that gets better with time. I feel like mm-hmm. definitely, yeah, I can definitely see that. And again, I don't know the whole thing of you know these are the first four movies. It's important to point out this is the second movie, and there's already a sense that they're trying to not be pigeonholed. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think that they do a good job. And I could imagine at the time, people wondering what they were going to do next. And if, if this was the follow up, I, I could see the different possibilities that would come from this because this this opens up a whole different avenue for the kinds of movies that they would be able to do later on. Yeah, yeah. Because the the closest thing I think I've seen of them that to this one is. Uh... Probably a burn after reading, which does go into completely ridiculous directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but d- the, but no, no, nothing as it feels like this is one of it. It's one of their extremes. I don't think they'll go. Yeah, they'll ever go more uh, goofy and comedy as uh, this one. That that's fair. I think the closest, as far as like you know, that sort of bending of reality and you know just comedy and the use of comedy is maybe oh brother where art thou that movie sort of oh yeah yeah in a yeah, very yeah, similar agreed. direction yeah um, yeah agreed agreed and uh i, for, yeah, I yeah. forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah um and that's and you know a lot of people know the big lebowski but that's really just like a dark comedy um yeah but and uh yeah i think that's a good way to transition to the, the next film which is I think the other one of their extreme, uh, as far as serious films go, uh-huh. this like, is this is like 
this doesn't feel like a Coen Brothers movie almost. That's how serious this goes. Yeah. Um, this feel this feels like a um, Al Pacino film from the early two thousands. That's that's fair. That's very fair. And I mean, I think the next time they ever went this serious was No Country for Old Men, um, which still has like a some comedic feel. Mm-hmm. There's there's a levity to that movie. Yeah. And this movie really doesn't have. I mean, I'm sure there are jokes in it, and there are bits that are meant to be funny, but it's not even the same. Um, you know, even John Turturro, who is usually, usually has tons of funny, you know, given to his characters in most films, he it plays very serious through most of this movie. Um, and if he's being silly, it's it's an act. It's not really yeah. who he is. Um, and his jokes are bad jokes but he knows that they're bad that's why he's making them it's part of his sort of this character that he has um we get to learn that he's sort of he's a character who plays dumb to you know to survive in a way um which is interesting he's a a great surprise in this film Mm -hmm. uh the 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 reveal of him we're talking about murder's crossing if that wasn't clear but Yeah. yeah uh so uh uh uh, there's a scene when the where the main character, which is called uh, Tommy, mm-hmm. yeah, Tommy has to kill John Turturro's character, and he's begging for his life. Uh, they're in the woods, just the two of them, and uh, Tommy lets him go. And then, um, and when Tommy gets back to his house, John Turturro's character is there. He he didn't leave town like he was supposed to. He's mm-hmm. actually blackmailing Tommy into a into helping him right stay alive yeah yeah it's um it, it's interesting the way that the way he plays that scene and i love that he he's thought a couple steps ahead of tommy um and we're and it's and it's important to point out a mill's crossing it's a prohibition era mobster gangster movie um and tommy is sort of the irish uh, equivalent of a um I can't remember the official term that they have in the mob for it, but he's the advisor to the king, kind of. Yeah. You know? He's the he's the the strategy guy, and that's his main job to sort of for the character of Leo Bannon to bounce his ideas off of. You know, he's the he's the person who makes sure that Leo is thinking clearly and you know not rushing into things half cocked. Um, that's his main role in the organization as we're to understand it. So he's, he's a very smart guy. And the fact that, uh, Bernie Birnbaum has thought so far ahead of him is meant to be impressive. And it very much is in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And, and John Turturro plays it perfectly. The transition from the transitioning back and forth from the, 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 the coward to the, to the man very much in control because he thinks he has made the smartest move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't have much to say about the plot of this film. It's very, it's kind of straight, straightforward in that it, there's the, the, the Irish and the Italians mm-hmm. and the Irish control the city at the start and then uh, make some mistakes. Then the Leo is the Irish which has a city at the start, and then it goes to Caspar, the Italian mobster. Mm-hmm. 
and there's the 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 femme fatale character mm-hmm. but there's a couple of scenes that for me were really great and kind of made the film uh and way more interesting than than uh than the, the straightforward uh crime film that it is mm-hmm. uh which is uh, every time there's a, a shootout it it does get completely ridiculous like yeah <laughs> there's a <laughs> there, there's a scene uh, where um, the Italian mobs and the cops are shooting out a, a, a bar yeah. uh, owned by the Irish and they keep shooting for like <laughs> two, three minutes <laughs> with Gatling guns and it's and, and uh, <laughs> it goes on for way, way too that, long that is one it's, of the few jokes that actually stay yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it starts out, it's like, okay, it's a, a, an execution. Then it keeps going, and then it's just uncomfortable. And then it keeps going <laughs> still, and people on both sides shooting each other when, when they, they should be way more death if mm-hmm. they're still shooting. But there isn't. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> yeah, but Sam Ramy is there, and he's having a great time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty ridiculous. And I love, like... I love the fight with Tommy and uh, the and Caspar's enforcer. Um, that was a great moment. He hits yeah. him with the chair, and he's like, "Really?" <laughs> and he has to bring yeah. in another guy. And they beat him up. Yeah, <laughs> so good. There's another scene where um, they try to kill Leo. Uh-huh. Uh, they send the hitman on Leo. The the right. They, yeah, and. He he knows and he shoots a couple of, a couple of guys, then he gets out of the house. There's one guy, one uh, Irishman still in the house. When a uh, one hitman still in the house, I mean, I meant, and he shoots him through the window with a. <laughs> uh, he shoots him through the window and the guy is holding a. Uh, how can I can I remember the word for a. A gun that shoots uh, a lot quickly. Oh, uh, Thompson, uh, machine gun. Thompson. A machine, machine gun. gun. Yeah. yeah, the machine gun. I just had the word in French in my head, uh, <laughs> which is mitraille. If you want to learn French, a, a word, of, mm. French word of the day. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a he shoots a guy through the window with a machine gun, and the hitman has a machine gun in his hand and just. He gets shot a couple of times and just keeps shooting with his machine gun all over the house for like 30, 40 seconds yep. while, while still being shot in the chest. It's pretty great. <laughs> and I, I love that like he just he takes down a whole car of guys yeah. while they're shooting at him. Um, and, he, and he still has his cigar at the end. There are parts of this that are that are very entertaining um and the sequences that could very that could be very dry um are done very in interesting ways and it makes the movie really work um and although there aren't like straightforward jokes a lot of the times like i said it it is it plays it pretty straight for the most part there is a jovial sensibility yeah. to a lot of yes, what's going it's, on it's, it's always the action scenes that are like 
Philute is some physical comedy, like mm-hmm. some, like the 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 scene where uh, Caspar kills the Great Dane, mm-hmm. and then there's there's the guy in the corner that's screaming <laughs> again and again. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the gorilla as he calls yeah, him. Yeah, the, the gorilla screaming in the, the corner. Yeah, and then you see Casper. Uh, Casper turn to towards Tommy, and it has a bullet on his face, and the and the guy is screaming, still screaming, doesn't stop. It's completely mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah, that's oh, that's a great scene. There's a yeah. lot of really good standalone scenes in this movie that just that really stand out very well um you know i love when they take him out into the forest to find john deturo's body um and the way that they focus in on gabriel brian's face um and like they really they really make it you make they make you feel how sick he is feeling like he's he's on the verge of throwing up because he knows that they won't find anything or he thinks they won't find anything um and it just it sells it so well his performance and the way that that scene is shot is so great and then the the rug being pulled out after that is so great of hey we found it or whatever and then you see this half rotten body um which we're supposed to understand is steve buscemi uh yeah unless i forgot that no no uh, right. yeah yeah um and uh steve buscemi <laughs> baby face steve buscemi in this movie um you know he's only really in one scene that i can remember um other than being on the phone but he leaves an impression um and i, I like that him and Totoro were supposed to be friends who were sort of cheating uh casper out of money um which and that's the thing like the actual plot of this it's kind of generic um and it sort of is just there to sort of deliver uh, all the other sequences um because it's not it doesn't really stick with you that well but it's entertaining while you're watching it which i think is good um it, it reflects well on the movie i think yeah, no, I think it's a movie that's way more interesting because of its particular scenes that work more than the yeah the overall mm-hmm. the overall plot is kind of really by the books. Mm-hmm. Like I said, uh, an Al Pacino film from the right. early two thousands. Yeah, because like the the soapy stuff between Leo and Tommy and um, what was her name and uh, Verna um, that like Verna. that stuff isn't that stuff isn't that interesting. Um, and like the most interesting part of that is when, uh, Tom tells Leo, um, <laughs> and then he, he just, he punches him for so long. Um, and like that, that's, that's great. Um, and they're, when they're on screen together, those two, uh, Gary O'Brien and, uh, Albert Finney, they have a lot of chemistry, um. And they play off each other very well, so those scenes are very good. Um, but yeah, like it's it's really you're watching it for the acting and for some of the yeah. scenes that are just like home runs as far as you know everything. The, there's one thing I want to mention that I notice a lot in the film. It's the use of the 
the the the hat mm-hmm. <laughs> they all most of the characters have hats and they're always used as like transitions or like zoom in zoom out and mm-hmm. the characters change faces it's 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 i don't know it works well with the theme of the movie it's like criminals wear hats so it's focus a lot of attention on the hat mm-hmm. yeah the, the hat the hat throughout the movie is uh it's very interesting the way that it's used yeah it just keeps on showing up and it always yeah it always has an interesting purpose to the scene um and i like the you know like he bet his hat because that 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 was a very valuable thing uh yeah. at the time um yeah yeah, the hat is the hat is definitely interesting. Um, and it sort of is. I I like the whole thing about the dream. That that was kind of weird. Um, and I I don't really. It's it's very interesting. It kind of it's an idea that is almost followed up in the next movie we're going to talk about. Um, in a weird way, like they're it's kind of. I don't want to say it's foreshadowing, but it's interesting. This idea of like a person who sort of has a dream about something and then it comes true. Um, and it's interesting how they use that and they sort of just leave it hanging in this movie. Um, and the way they leave it hanging, it doesn't feel, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, it doesn't feel like a cheat in any way. Because uh, the movie still pays things off enough. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. So um, that's I guess I mean that I guess that's a perfect place to transition into yeah. the next one, unless you have any sort of closing thoughts on Miller's Crossing. Yeah, I think it's my least favorite uh, coin films I've seen actually. Oh, okay. I haven't seen all their movies. I, right. I hear like Lady Killers is really bad. Yeah, but, I just yeah, this one. That's this one true. is just is, yeah. This one is just kind of. I thought it was kind of boring. I, of of the, of these four, particularly, it was my least favorite. Right. Of, of these four, um, yeah, because I don't have the same, like, for any director, your first two movies, you you don't get a pass, but there's the assumption that you don't know what you're doing yet, even with a team, you know, that they're still learning the craft and they're still yeah. honing their skills. Um, so you give a little extra leeway for their first two movies. Um, and this movie, I think it uses metaphor very well and it uses setup and it uses plot very well, but the overall story is, again, it's very soapy and it's very much like, yeah, we've been here before. We don't really need this. Um, and I don't think it ultimately all comes together at the end. Um, although I do like the triple cross at the end. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoy that quite a bit. Um, and I enjoy yeah. how Tom is able to uh, chess move his way out of things. Um, but I, I, yeah, do, I, I do I get do get that. Yeah. It's like, it's to like, I like every Coen Brothers films I've, se- I've seen. Mm-hmm. I think this one is just my least favorite. Yeah. I can, I can see that. I, I had a real problem with Burn after reading, um, which I mean we're not talking about that one now, so we can't really go into it. But I, I had real problems with that one. So that one would probably be my least favorite because I haven't seen Lady Killers. 
Um, but I can see where you're coming from on this. Yeah, I feel bad, but I think my least favorite before watching this one was actually the Big Lebowski, which I just didn't like. Mm. But I feel like I need to rewatch that one because I've seen it only once. Right. Yeah. And it's it's one that people love so much that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, another one that I, I'm still unsure how I feel about it. I probably need to rewatch it as Hail Caesar, um, just because I just I I probably need to give it another yeah. chance and sort of. Yeah, and I think all of these movies, every Coen Brothers movie, and this is the sign to me of a great movie, you need to watch them a few times just to sort of get a real sense of them. Because um, some of them really do require multiple viewings. And going in, like you said with uh, Raising Arizona, going in knowing what to expect, it helps things, you know. Um, and the stuff that... Y- you appreciate will stand out more you know like i love the stuff in this movie about where you have the cop who raids both uh, yeah <laughs> he raids both uh, the mobsters um they weren't their headquarters but like you know their establishments you know and you see yeah. him working for both sides and that interaction between him and tom is great um so yeah the stuff like that throughout the movie yeah but Anyway, you're, you're right. This movie, it's not among their best, I don't think. But it, I, it's certainly, it's certainly good. I think, which is yeah, which is an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, uh, let's yeah. move on to one of my favorites of their films, uh, Barton Fink, uh, a movie about a writer that has no idea what to write, which is. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, a common theme from good movie writers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, Burden Fing, in Burden Fing, John Turturro is a, a playwright that's incredibly full of himself, that's hired to write a, a, a film, a wrestling film, and he has no idea where to start, and it slowly degenerates in a, like, questioning his own value, like, as a writer. And uh, befriending uh, John Goodman's character, which is uh, <laughs> a, a, spoilers, a serial killer. <laughs> a serial killer, maybe neo-Nazi. <laughs> it's, it's oh right. yeah, probably neo-Nazi yet too. <laughs> it's it's unclear. Uh, I think I mentioned this in the um, un, unclear endings episode. He does say Heil Hitler, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he would make friends with Barton, uh, who I understand to be Jewish, if he really was a Nazi. So I, I'm still confused by that, but it was an interesting choice. But his, um, his name is Carl Bunt. Right. Which... Yeah. Um, also, he's crazy, so <laughs> maybe... Uh, but yeah, he, he, he does befriend uh, Barton Fink, but he may have killed his parents and his mm. uncle, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah but, so who yeah. knows but uh yeah he's he's great um yeah. he, he's great in the movie um john goodman one of the most underappreciated actors probably um and this movie really shows it because he is he's so great throughout this movie um and you know because it's a coen brothers movie when he is completely fine with helping barton um cover up the death of the woman who he's sleeping with, who is the wife of his favorite writer. Am I getting that right? Because I, 
watched yeah. this movie months ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, like such a, so great. And uh, the the idea that the writer snuck into his hotel and killed her while he was asleep. Um, at least that's how I read it. Um, and then, but yeah, like John Goodman's just being like completely okay with it. Like, not really being that surprised in uh, in retrospect. Uh, that's great. But then when you realize he's a serial killer, it's like, oh, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just did this last week. Like, four times as much. Uh, yeah. It's, there's some there's some stuff in this that is... That is... It, it does... This gets closer, I think, to sort of the vision I think people have in their heads of the Coen brothers. Where yeah. there's it's... there's a strong comedic element, there's a strong sense of darkness and crime at the same time, and this sort of sarcasm that ties it all together. Um, and I think that this is like the prototypical what you expect from a Coen Brothers movie. Um, and it's so interesting to see sort of like the crystallization of what they do um, or what people expect from them at least. It, it almost feels like now more like a Charlie Kaufman film than a Coen Brothers film, and which like by including kind of uh, some form of supernatural, like some some weird dreamlike elements and mm-hmm. and by uh, very centering the whole film on a it reminds me a lot of uh, uh, adaptation actually the another Nicolas Cage film that's really good where uh, uh, about a writer that's that doesn't know what to write and that uh, kind of the uh, degenerates to into something weird and yeah, it's very different from. It it feels like a lot similar to Coen Brothers film, but very different in yeah. that there's no like. Uh, until you learn that he's a <laughs> serial killer, there's no actual crime right. in this film, which the the Coen Brothers tend to to use uh, as a plot device. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's so much to say about this film. I, I just like John Turturro's performance so much. I like his, that his character is just a... He thinks he's a good guy, but he's actually an asshole, even right. with, with John Goodman. He's always like, uh, oh, I like to tell the story about the common people. And then John Goodman's character... Like you... like Then John Goodman goes, yeah, I have this story... Yeah, yeah, exactly. You all have stories, but I'll never let you tell you your story. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's so accurate. And, yeah. and like again, I think we brought it up in that episode. Uh, but like the fact that he is so unable to write a wrestling picture when yeah. the wrestling picture is what the common man wants. Um, yeah. Like the common man wants to see himself reflected, and he wants to see himself win. And the fact that he is so detached from that, and that he just wants to write about the sadness. And the, uh, the the horrible situations that some of the common people have to live with. And the fact that he's so obsessed with telling that story and not telling the story about the person who's getting by fine. They could be better, but 
they're 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 surviving. Um, you know, which is what we're supposed to assume John Goodman's character is or would be. Again, if he weren't a serial killer, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like the fact that he has no interest in telling that story, um, it really displays like how much of a jerk he is and how detached he is from the people who he claims to be cha- championing. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's it also like that. This film is always introducing ridic- characters in a completely ridiculous way. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, uh, again, uh, Steve Buscemi's character. Uh, which is the 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 guy is the guy in the front desk of the hotel. He's called yep. Chet, and he gives him a, a, a just a blank piece of paper with uh, Chet uh, exclamation point on it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. yeah. Um. God damn it. No, it's so yeah, good. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get like uh, uh, also um, Tony Shalhoub's character, the producer, who's. Uh, mm-hmm. Who's, who, who they go to dinner and he's drinking. Uh, he has one glass of whiskey and one glass of milk. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Hollywood one. <laughs> yeah. and, and you know it's the morning because uh, he offers... Because uh, just just after that, there's the scene where uh, W.P. Uh, Mayhew, the, the, the great author that uh, Burton is a big fan of, right. he, he meets him in the bathroom and he's just... <laughs> puking his <laughs> for a long time like way too long and he gets out of the bathroom and <laughs> he starts drinking again it's so good <laughs> offers something by then it's like oh it's too early for that yeah um uh, yeah. and uh again i think again this is another thing i think i brought up uh, that podcast but um we meet uh michael lerner as the head of capital pictures um the, the previous head of Capital Pictures, um, uh, soon to be replaced by George Clooney at some point in the future of this <laughs> of the Coen Brothers cinematic universe, um, <laughs> which I think we have a better sense of what that would be actually if there really was one. Miller's Crossing could easily take place in the same world. I see no reason why not. Um, there's a lot of John Turturro's walking around in this world though, <laughs> so many of mm. them. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, but yeah, like, it's, it's very interesting, and his interaction with the writer, um, with John Mahoney, who's the actor, is so great, and his interaction with the people in Hollywood is so great, and they are all, not caricatures, but they ride the line of being caricatures. They're not even caricatures, because they, they have no, like, maybe kind of some uh influence of the stereotype but they feel like just completely ridiculous people like mm-hmm. not even uh a parody just <laughs> just weird characters right and they the... they stretch reality to, yeah. to some extent um and uh, we i assume that the writer who um barton is obsessed with he's sort of a john steinbeck type thing you know which is the kind of thing that he would he seems like he would be into um yeah yeah, and like again he falls in love with his wife which is just (laughs) 
I, I love that. It's, it's not that. his wife. It's his secretary oh, slash right. lover because his real wife is in in uh, uh, I think a, a hospital or an, oh, yeah. an asylum or something. Right. It, yeah. So his yeah his his long time uh, side piece as they would yeah. say at the time. Um, yeah. That's yeah. So many so many elms and the idea that you know because because he's been in Hollywood for so long that he feels comfortable just framing it on some new guy. Um, yeah, like so many little little details in yeah. this. Um, I, I love that actually <laughs> there's a scene where the when where the the music the, the movie exec actually kisses Barton feet. <laughs> yeah. I love it too. I I love like I love the difference between when he first meets him versus later on in the week. <laughs> Like, and at the end, when he actually hates him because his right. movie's shit. It's so good. <laughs> we're going to keep you on the payroll, and you're going to write, and we're gonna never going to use your, your work. It's so good. Like, and I, I, I can't remember if it's an ad lib or not, or if it's something he said, but he's like, I can't even read. <laughs> but I trust that it's going to be good, or something like that. Like, it's so... It's so interesting. Um, so many little things. And again, like the black comedy is really all throughout this movie. Um, and, and like there are little, there are all these like little jokes that play out that don't really make sense at first. And then when you think about them, they come back. Um, and like, and I love John, again, I love John Gilman in this movie. He's so yeah great in this movie. Um, and he plays such he plays a character that again for so long he's so sympathetic <laughs> and then he feels the like moment, the the only good character in the whole film mm-hmm. like he is the moral center of this world um <laughs> that we're meant to think is pretty detached from reality and then again, he like he blows a detective's head off um <laughs> We assume... He puts the hotel on fire to start. Right, yeah. Uh... Blows, the he... blows up both detectives and then uh-huh. like walks through the fire like <laughs> the the devil yep. and just yep. saves Barton and just go back to his go ba- goes back to his room. Mm-hmm. That's that's still on fire. Mm-hmm. But his character arc ends there, going back to his room. <laughs> I love it. I I love it so much. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I... I, not much to say about this movie other than it's great. Um, yeah, it's. I, I think it really is like it's. It's the cementing of what again what what people assume a Tarantino or not a Tarantino movie. That's a different episode. Uh, what people assume a Coen Brothers movie is like. Um, you know, if you haven't seen one already, that is. Um, and if if you've seen Burton Fink and liked it and want to see some similar stuff, I recommend every film written by Charlie Kaufman because they're all of this kind of uh, uh, between reality and, and fiction and mm-hmm. you you don't know what's real for the characters and what isn't and it's all like the the same kind of struggle for the character of discerning that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think yeah. that's just about it. Um, I mean, we can talk a little bit about, I mean, we can't go too deep into current movies, but, um, I'm excited to see anything, really, the Coens. I guess we can just talk about the Coens in general for a little bit, but, um, 
I'm always excited when the Coens have a new movie coming out. Um, even when something like, um, wow, I'm forgetting the movie already. Uh, even when something like Hail Caesar does come out, I'm always interested in what they're going to do because, you know, again, for every Hail Caesar, there is a True Grit, you know, or there's a No Country or something like that. Um, or, you know, other movies that I haven't seen, but I've only heard good things about, you know, I've only heard good things about A Serious Man. Yeah, that's my favorite. That's one of my favorite all-time films. It's we'll talk about it for sure in a future episode because I I like mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, and um, Michael Stuhl Stuhlbart. Yes, Stuhlbart. Yeah. he yeah. is one of the best actors working yeah. today. Um, I mean, the end of this of twenty seventeen, we're gonna talk about him. A lot in our top yeah. ten episode. <laughs> in, in our Oscar episode, actually, because he's in the, the three of the best picture nominees. Yeah, like he's he's an MVP this year, um, yeah. and he was in the post also. So it's it's pretty extensive. Um, but yeah, like he's he's one of the best, and whenever he shows up, even for anything, he's always great. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen uh, Boardwalk Empire he's one of the better supporting characters throughout that entire show. Um, and he, oddly enough, with Steve Buscemi. Um, and the two of them, any scene that they have together is just lightning. Um, so if you haven't seen that, I, I strongly recommend that. Um, yeah, he's he's great. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm happy for anything that they do in the future. Um, yeah. the, the only Coen Brothers films actually I couldn't get into at all I could I couldn't finish watching was uh, Inside Lewin Davis Davis, yeah, which was both uh, too depressing for me and I'm not a big fan of country music so mm. didn't really work. Right, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, um, but I've heard that that's a very hard movie to sort of yeah get into. Um, it is, I guess we can something we can talk about and we can do a full episode on this actually at some point is. Movies that they wrote but they didn't direct tend to be kind of hit and miss. Um, as I'm looking at their IMDb or not their their uh, their filmography on Wikipedia, and you have yeah. movies like Suburbicon, which came out recently, um, which, uh, unless I'm mistaken, nobody liked. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I heard too. Um, uh, but then you have Bridge of Spies, which which we did talk about and we both like. Yeah, um, and it's, it's a pretty great movie. But then you have Unbroken. That one has more writers on it um, than just them. Some of these have more writers. Some of them have no other writers. Um, but Unbroken is a movie that I never saw. But I remember hearing quite a bit that it was not... It wasn't balanced. Like, it was very melodramatic for the sake of melodrama. Um, I would need to see it to confirm that. Um, but I guess like there wasn't a sense of this character has gone through a lot and he doesn't have, but he doesn't have an arc. Um, and for those who don't remember Unbroken, it's the movie about, you know, a, a soldier who gets, uh, first he gets stuck at sea and then he gets found by the Japanese and put into an internment camp. Um, and he, the Japanese were not kind, um, to their 
POWs. Uh, it was pretty dark, some of the stuff that happened. And he suffered through some of the worst of it because he was also an Olympian. Um, and he was given sort of special extra treatment. So that's a movie that came out, and I guess it, it just doesn't come together as a movie. Um, again, all from what I've heard. Um, a movie I'm just now learning of, Gambit. Um, yeah, we can go through yeah. these way more in depth at some point but yeah Gambit is, has 18% on Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. <laughs> I, wow there's a lion on the cover so oh, that's a thing um, yeah like never never had a theatrical release and went straight to DVD in 2014 so. wow <laughs> yeah so they had it, it, it is interesting when they didn't direct it, it it's <laughs> I'm interested in why that is the case. Why it is that when they didn't direct it, it sometimes doesn't work. If it, is it because they only let other people direct it when it's not their best work? Yeah. <laughs> and are they aware of that? Um, mm. But yeah, so that that's something the, interesting. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about this one because the it, the cast is Colin Firth, Cameron Diaz, and Alan Rickman. Yeah, I mean that's a <laughs> that's a good cast. I, I like. <laughs> If it was, if it was a, just a regular Coen Brothers movie, I would watch that. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, that's mm. interesting. And those are people that aren't part of their regular rotation, because there is a rotation. We found that, I mean, if you flip a coin, there's a chance that John Goodman's going to be in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and George uh, Clooney. Yeah, there's a chance George Clooney's going to be in the movie, as we found later on. There's a chance John Turturro is going to be there, and if Steve Buscemi isn't there, I, I'm except for more in recent movies, I'm I'm surprised if he doesn't show up. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's um. So yeah, yes, that's a. Do you have any sort of final thoughts on the Coen Brothers overall and interesting things to point out about them? Mm, I don't know. I'm 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 interested in the the next written film called Dark Web. Which is whatever that's going to be. It yeah. sounds like a movie they'll write and not direct. Just it does. It yeah. does. Based off oh. of... Well, just based off the title. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't... It doesn't sound like their usual cover. And also, like, I feel like that movie's a lot of nerds sitting at a screen. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a lot of people like, I'm logging on to the internet! <laughs> and... <laughs> and... and, and if uh if Men Who Stare at Ghosts is any indication, they don't necessarily have the best respect or understanding of computers. Um, so I'm I'm watching that. I, I'm interested yeah. to see what goes on there. I think that's a good place to end for this week. Uh-huh. We'll be back next week talking about more movies. We have no idea. <laughs> well, yeah, at the time that we're recording this, we have no idea what the next episode is. But um, yeah. Oscar stuff is coming very soon top 10 of the such so we'll have oscar predictions and most likely an oscar reaction episode yeah um so all, all those probably released before this episode so mm-hmm. maybe you've heard them maybe not yeah yeah who knows uh, let's do maybe plugs quickly i'm Isayer on twitter uh follow me there and say hello yeah, um, I'm A.A. Haro on most of the places. Um, spacegolumbo.tumblr.com. 
Um, I'm unsure at the moment when this episode will come out, but I believe uh, the Phantom Zone's Valentine's movie special will be out. Um, and uh, we a while back we reviewed uh, the 1997 classic Steel, starring Shaquille O'Neal. So, uh, <laughs> so trust us, you don't need to watch Steel, but you probably should because it's a fun time. Um, so yeah, watch, watch Steel, uh, get, get yourself some, some drinks, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, up to you, uh, and watch it either at the same time as the podcast comes out or before and then listen. Now that's up to you, you're adults, you decide what you do with your life. Um, so yeah, that's the end of my plugs. Okay, so that's it. Uh, see you next week. And bye. Bye.